0: Hi, everyone. I'm Frank Keith of Sweetheart Pub, and welcome back to the Music Rookie Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with Justin Osborne, who is the lead singer and principal songwriter of Charleston, South Carolina-based band, Susto. Susto has developed to a point in their career, from straight-up DIY to releasing their latest album on Rounder Records. Justin and I met at a soundcheck uh, about a decade ago, now that I'm thinking about it. And I've enjoyed keeping in touch and following him and Susto grow into an internationally recognized band over the years. I wanted to pick his brain about what worked and what didn't work as the band progressed from total DIY regional success all the way to present day touring Europe regularly and landing a legitimate record deal. With that, Let's let Justin take the microphone before I get too carried away, spoiling the story. One more housekeeping item before we dive in. Justin gave this interview from the back of the van while on tour, so there are some slight audio issues you might notice. I did my best with the EQ, and I think the message is pretty much there, but just a heads up for any audiophiles out there. Let's get into it. But you're you are, for me, and I'm sure a lot of people you might not feel this way. But um, I think you're a good model of like success and kind of building it on your own to get where you're sitting right now in the back of that van. When you were getting started, your dude with an acoustic guitar, writing some songs with your buddies, like what what were you doing? What was your vision? What were your goals? And what were some steps that you remember taking that kind of worked along the way? And what are some things you did that you're like, well, shit, I would have done that differently. And that is a very broad question. I know.
1: I been in band since I was in high school and I was fortunate to have parents that were supportive of that, which I re- recognize. is like a, a, a privilege that I had that kind of like still has repercussions today because it kind of got me, allowed me to get started early on. Um, my dad had a small construction company so he actually built like a, a tiny venue in our backyard cuz my parents were religious and didn't want me playing in bars and stuff so this like gave me a really early um, exposure to just throwing shows in the DIY kind of approach and um you know we would throw shows we could fit about 100 people in this this place and um we started doing that in high school and i had a band i started and I got to test out my songs that way, and so like in my second band I started, our first album had kind of a certain amount of success. Um, on in the MySpace days, we had like what I would call like a MySpace semi-viral hit, like regionally at least, and everyone was adding this one song we had like to their profile and things. So after my first semester of college, I came back home to play a show with my high school band, and all of a sudden like there were like people there singing our lyrics. And so that was very helpful because I kind of took that little nugget and tried to grow it as much as I could with the extremely limited knowledge I had at the time. At the time, I was 19, 18 and like didn't know anything about the music industry. I just had dreams like, you know, like the the kind that everybody does who doesn't really hasn't really been in it. Um, And so I just started trying to book my own shows. Um, I would pretend to be my booking agent. I uh, like created a fake booking agency and a fake like booking agent name, and would reach out to venues and be like, "Hey, I represent blah 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 my old band," and uh, and eventually, I just like I got a certain amount of success from that before I ended it, which really helped me when I started Susto because I mean I had um, at least in South Carolina and then regionally like a certain amount of a following that kind of followed me from that band that I've been in for ten years. To when I started Susto and they are like okay well, this is a different band it's a bit different of a vibe but we know this person some people didn't some people that liked my old band did not like Susto and they didn't come over but um so I gotta be straightforward that that was very helpful you know like it's not like it just came out of nowhere like I had a background in do-it-yourself promoting and touring that started early on and was facilitated by resources that frankly just like aren't available to everybody and i recognize that um but when i started susto i wanted to have more success because i had hit walls and kind of felt like i was spinning my wheels a little bit with my other band even though we had like a certain amount of grassroots success um so what i really focused on was trying once we kind of got a following in charleston which happened Actually, at my, to my surprise, like pretty quickly, like within a month or two of putting our album out on our own, it kind of made the rounds in town, and we were like selling out shows and having you know um, a really good response. Um, so I, I wanted to be, I wanted to do what I'm doing right now, like be like a national, international touring artist. So like I, it was very quickly that I started looking outside of town, like, Okay, how? I wanted, my, I didn't want to play just small towns like I had in my other band. I really wanted to go higher than that. So I decided to focus on cities that had a, a major league sports team. To me, that was like a marker of a market that was big enough to focus on. Like if it's a big enough place to have this, then there's enough people there that I should be able to find, put together a following. So I started focusing on D.C. and uh, Raleigh, Charlotte, and Nashville and Atlanta. And um, and I also like started focusing on the other two big markets in South Carolina, Greenville and Columbia. And uh, I used a lot of contacts that I had made in the ten years previous with my old band, like to reach out to promoters. I also like used tactics that I developed. I started like looking for bands that I could pair with. Like I would look for a band from New Orleans, a band from Atlanta. And, and reach out to both of them and suggest like a three-band tour where we did Charleston, Atlanta, New Orleans. And like, and that's kind of the thing I'd picked up in the MySpace days where you would meet bands and you'd be like, Hey, we'll do show trades and stuff. So, um, and that led to cultivating relationships and, and it, the Atlanta kind of, um, I don't know if diaspora is the right word, but in Charleston, the Atlanta transplanted Charleston, um, community is pretty big so the word started getting back to Atlanta from people who were living in Charleston so that's when market really started to grow quickly and then from that it kind of spread out more and we were able to um, also we got lucky because like Band of Horses found the album because it was being played at bars in town and um, Ben Bridwell from that band reached out to me and was the first uh, you know like person who I would consider had made it to like reach out and really try and mentor and taking it under his wing and him putting us on some shows uh, led to us kind of like getting the attention of a booking agency uh, and, you know, them coming down to see one of the shows and signing us. And then, I mean, we put out two records independently. Um, like the first record I put out completely independently. I didn't have a lawyer. I didn't have a manager. I didn't have anybody who just put it out. I, that did what I said about trying to focus on these markets. I also um, just would follow any lead I got. Anyone who saw me on the show was like, oh yeah, I think we can help you out with this, do that. I would follow up. I would, every day I would make a list of things I could do to try and break the band and I would just work my ass off to try and bug people. I mean, one thing was getting on South by Southwest and uh, I, I think, Maybe that was the year we were touring together when you were in Tito Stone, and we I had like that was the tour we booked DIY like I booked some of it, you and Tito booked other parts of it, and Clay probably had a hand in that like, and uh, so that was the same kind of thing that that our experience together is case in point where I'm describing like you know the show trade type thing, but on that same run I had secured us an official South by Southwest show, um, and that was uh that took a lot of work i had to like i, I made a list of people that i thought might could help me get an official listing on south by southwest because i had like applied but you know it's, it can be political you know and um ulti- ultimately got on it didn't you know went to south by thinking oh maybe we'll find a label and a manager and all this stuff went to south by and all it did was you know like it was a good thing to put on the resume like a f- f- uh, featured south by southwest artist but um But shortly after that, though, maybe it did help. Shortly after that, people did start coming around. We had managers started inquiring. Um, We signed with the same lawyer as Band of Horses. He was like the first member of our team, which was really important because once you have like a badass lawyer, everyone else is like, oh, okay. well, if this dude's working with them, that's legit. Especially managers and stuff, because they know they're going to have this person's expertise and reputation to fall back on. So pieces just started coming together, but it was like a culmination of walking through a lot of doors and trying to look for other open ones and and really just like working a lot And, and being on the road when I could afford it with a full band, but also when I couldn't like solo. And that, you know, I had never done much solo touring. I'd been in a band before and like, but I had to kind of develop that skill And also write in a way that was conducive to me going and conveying the you know the weight of the song with just me and a guitar Uh,
0: um you you had just gotten you touched on something that i was definitely wanting to dig a little deeper on with you and that is the touring solo like obviously this does a band right but when you had you were trying to hit a market, I'm thinking of Europe when I'm asking this, right? You know, I live in I live in the US, you live in the US, 90% of people I'm ever gonna talk to about any of this live in the US. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you went to Europe as a solo artist, and I can understand why. It's uh, but you know, do you think that helped you kind of slingshot into a situation down the line where you could be band?
1: Well, I, I definitely. I mean, I realized that that was what I was having to do in the U.S. Right, like, and so it, to me, it was obvious that that was what I would need to do in Europe. Um, I, I wanted to do it differently. Like I, th- I, th- I thought about maybe trying to go as like, a duo or something because, like, that was a question I kind of asked Ben from Ben of Horses because he, they had, they have, you know, just as much success in Europe as they do in the U.S. If not more. And I knew that. So I like, you know, I asked guys, his advice because I really wanted to be have a presence in Europe. I wanted to be an international artist, you know, like um, and it really started with this one guy in Sweden who like reached out to me and was like starting this little festival in a small town in the south of Sweden. And he was like, just wanted me to come. He found me through the algorithm or something on Spotify. And he he was willing to bring me over, but he could only pay a certain amount. Um, so like I, I could only go solo. And so I, I went solo, but then also like Ben helped me get in touch with some some folks in London to like book some shows in London. So I could also kind of turn it to a bit of a showcase for Susto. So I like went to Sweden, played the festival. Um, the same guy like booked me another show like in his town, like outside of the festival. So I did like two shows in Sweden and then and I'd never even been to Europe, like. So it's like an amazing experience. It was just lost. I came back and like switched all my wardrobe to black. It's like I felt so, I felt so hokey over there. Uh, everyone's such a sharp dresser. But um, but then I went to London and played a, a few showcases, and um, and that was just kind of a foot in the door thing. And then after that, really, like we were talking before you started recording about the Cordovas, um, Joe Firstman. The band leader, of the Cordovas, was, was very uh, instrumental in helping me get to Europe with a full band, um, and even before that, like solo, like again to kind of late groundwork. Because I, um, I later after that first little jaunt where I went and did the Swedish festival, I, I like about a year later, Band of Horses was doing a, a, a tour, and Ben, I like had reached out to Ben. And I was like, "Hey, man, I don't," because I hate asking too much. He's already you know very good to me and, and generous with his advice, but I hate asking. So just, everybody's gotta look out for themselves, right? So I hate being like, hey, put me on this, please put me on this, because he already does enough of that. But like, I really needed a, a, a foot in the door in Europe, so I asked him if um, I could open their tour, and he and he agreed. Um, unfortunately, that, I was still only able to go solo, but I, it was still good, because I, I by that point I developed a compelling solo set. So I toured a Band of Horses, They were on a festival circuit, so I was only playing their club shows, which was like every Tuesday, Wednesday. So every Thursday through Monday, I would fly out and go play every single day of the week somewhere else. And that was through this company in Scandinavia called Rootsy, who I'd been introduced to by by Joe Firstman and Cordovas because they had already been uh, touring over there with Rootsy. And so I would like do two nights with Van of horses, ride on the bus with them in between shows and like party all night. And then after the second show, I would leave immediately go to an airport and try and get up to Scandinavia to play a show the next day, drive myself, sell my own merch, all my stuff for like five whole days, then run back and again. That's happened for like three weeks. It was the most exhausting tour I've ever been on in my entire life. I was carrying everything on my back, <laughs> like merchandise and everything and my guitar in my hand. I was, I played a, of shows in a lot of countries and um and when i was with band of horses it'd always be nice to get them because i know that i would just be shuffled along to the next place i had a ride and a place to sleep and everything but those dudes party like crazy so it was like i got no rest like after i'd be exhausted when i got to them and i'd be even more exhausted when i left because we'd be like really partying but um but it worked it, it was helpful because then less than a year later Rootsy was uh, my solo shows I've done with Rootsy were a success, and also the stuff I've done opening the band of horses have been successful in some markets. And so we were able to get a booking agent in Europe and we went back with a full band. And um, and that was a long tour, but even that, and that was an investment. You know, like you, Europe is, it takes a while to turn a profit or even break even, but people have told me it's just like you have to do it. And we're finally getting to the point where like we can we get like festival, good festival. And stuff from here to make it worth it financially, but it was an investment. You know, like even the first full band stuff we went, we had to go stay over there for like two months just to make it worth playing tickets. And we had to play almost every day and slog through the cold to play to people when nobody else would be out on the road playing. Um, and it was hard and <laughs> depressing, but it, it paid off in certain.
0: What I would like to pivot to, and, you know, you don't have to disperse any classified information here but the release with rounder records came a little later on Um, so anybody I talk to that has a label affiliation I like to you know feel out how that came about what that deal looks like not necessarily you know the split or anything like that but what's uh I guess I'm asking, you know, what what went into that for you, and what have you gotten out of it? And is that something you would seek out again? And you don't even have to talk specifically about Rounder there, but just you know, a label like that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, our first like legitimate label release was our third album. So, like I kind of alluded to earlier first album came out completely so on my own by the time the second album came out i had a team i had a manager booking agent all this stuff but we couldn't really get a label that was ready to release our album on our timeline um, the band still hadn't really reached certain levels yet um, I, I I thought we had a really great second record and people thought it too but we we needed to put it out sooner than later because by the time we got it made it had been like almost three years since my first album had been out so we also ultimately, ultimately put out our second record independently but we used like um, district we had like proper distribution and stuff through caroline and this piece um but there was already starting to be label interest then and then that album, even though we put it out independently, it ended up doing really well. Um, A lot of that was aided by the fact that we landed like a a tour opening for the Lumineers all across North America. So like the press opportunities just started coming out of everywhere. We got to be television and things like that. And so, so we rode that wave and it was actually great because, you know, we had complete control because we had self-released it. Um, But then, uh, after that, the band really grew and really became like a national name, and also at the same time international because we'd also been simultaneously, you know, trying to build in Europe. Um, so by the time the third record was getting made and written, there were a lot of uh, we had we were lucky we had a, a handful of labels that were interested and we had um, several deals on the table, um, and it was going to be hard to choose between. The, the, it really came down to three that I really wanted. I really couldn't make up my mind. And, uh, but I was happy, you know, because it was like, because to me, it was like a stamp of approval from the industry. It's like, okay, you're yeah, doing something that like seems um, viable and like, you know, that, you know, this is legitimate. And so I was excited to sign a record deal. And um, Rounder kind of came to the table late. They weren't even really in my radar, but they had just gotten a new president and um he and i hit it off he came to atlanta to see us all these deals always go down in atlanta for some reason (laughs) but um um, he came to atlanta to see us play um and basically convinced me to sign with him over uh, other two labels that were on the table with really great offers because i i I need guidance along the way. You know, I'm not a super strong-minded person. I do. I am particular about how I like to make albums. I don't like a lot of stress and pressure, but I also need input whenever I can't decide because you know I get too close to the project sometimes. And I was really hoping to have that in Rounder, and um, and I guess I got it to a certain extent. Um, and I and overall, I would say that it was a positive experience working with Rounder. I think they were going through, like our next album that will be coming out in the foreseeable future, I, I don't know that it would be on Rounder. I I, I'm, I, 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 know that it won't be, actually. Um, and that's a, a mutual decision that we came through just because I think we've learned through the process uh, of putting our third record out that wasn't necessarily the best fit, even though John and I do want well and I really respect his um John Stone as the president there. I, I really love John and have think great things to say about him and other folks at Rounder. Um, but it', it uh, not I don't think it is the right fit for us. So um, I don't know when this podcast is gonna air but that that deal will probably be done by the uh, time so um, it's probably fine for me to say that. Um but uh that said like they're very helpful. You know they help like because of having a label support like because we released our second album as best as we could, like it was on a label. We were able to secure some outside funding. We hired a press team, hired a radio team. My manager had worked in record labels for a long time, so he was really good at project managing the album, like it was a label, and just like subcontracting out the label services. Um, so it saved him a lot of that headache whenever Rounder. There because Rounder is a label, so they have all that stuff in house. Um, also, a label is a bank, basically, so they help pay for the record to be recorded. And because of Rounder, we were able to work with uh, Grammy Award-winning producer Ian Fitchuk who had just come off of producing Golden Hour for Jason Mraz. So that was really cool, and we got to record in like this dream studio of mine, Echo Mountain, in, in Asheville. And you know, Rounder facilitated all that, but. Um, at the same time, like that all sounds like you know the model for the music industry. Like, get a record deal, and they'll pay for a producer in a big studio that, that hadn't been the model that we had been doing before. We had been making records on our own with Wolfie, who you know, the producer, who's a ghost member of the band. We have been making records in his local studio in a DIY kind of fashion. That was what, how we built our, our fan base. So it was almost like a departure for us being on a label, but it was also because I had never been on one. I was just trying to do the right thing. Um, and I think we got a good album out of it, but it was just like a learning experience about how all that works and also where I'm comfortable. So like, uh, you know, I, we, we have another deal on the table now that I'm not going to mention with you because it's not done. Um, but, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited to go into my next kind of label experience with the lessons that I've learned from my last one because. Uh, um, I feel like every album, every album cycle is—I've learned lessons. So I learned what not to do, what to do more of, what to focus on. Um, as a business owner, as an artist, and as like you know someone in the music industry who's trying to grow a thing, um, so uh, I, I definitely think it's worth seeking out being a label. And labels are helpful, especially in today's age of streaming, where you need someone who's going to be able to help you get playlisted going to help you be, be able to get radio play. I mean, I it may seem like that's outdated, but radio play is still a really big thing. And, um, and so I think it's very helpful. It was, we, we had success before we had a label because we had a good team and I think you still can do that. But, uh, but you have to get really lucky. We were really lucky to have the team we had when we did. And also really lucky to be able to secure outside funding. Um, you know, it's just hard to get all the things together that you need to do what a record label can do. Um, I think we got really lucky. Also, with that Lumineers tour that was like, you know, that was those things don't come all the time for bands our size, bands like us. So, like, um, those just the stars align for us. So, I think, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I like I said, like, I'm gonna sign with someone else for my next. I'm excited about that because labels help a lot. And also going back to the thing about A&R, like you know, there, there are experienced people working on record labels that can help give you advice. You know, when it comes down to things like, like, okay, I got this many songs, but do all of them go on the record? Like, can you help me, you know, cut this down to what the record really is? Help me figure out what this is. Sequencing, things like that. Like little things that like, once you've like made a record and you poured your heart into song after song, like it can be hard to make those decisions like uh, i'm excited for that and then also the practical business side of it just like you know utilizing the labels infrastructure so uh, i'm not anti-label even though i um you know i'm currently in the state of jumping uh it's it's not with any bad will or ill will it's just um
0: yeah yeah I, i hear you man i i think that's that's a good point that i try to make as often as possible to people is uh you mentioned luck a lot and you do have to get lucky but you got to put yourself in a position to get lucky it ain't gonna happen just sitting on your ass at home
1: absolutely i mean you create your own luck i think you know so it's like without being out there mixing it up and really putting work in to create those opportunities to get lucky and then also trying to be as prepared as you can be to take advantage of those opportunities the luck doesn't matter if you're not doing all that but um and you can do all that still not getting it luck and that's what i feel bad about but seeing that happen to people um i've also i've also seen people get really lucky and not take proper advantage of it
0: and uh, doing the best i can to keep it between the lines yeah we'll, we'll keep on keeping on man i i appreciate it All the insight before, before I let you go, is there anything that you are like, obviously you would tell, okay, don't do this. Um,
1: I would say like, as hard as you try, also don't annoy people, you know, like, um, you can maybe be persistent. Uh, don't be, don't expect anyone to also probably the biggest lessons. Don't expect anything to be your big break. And for some or for and for one connection to take you to where you see yourself being like every connection you make or break you get is just a step along the way that you have to take advantage of and that you have to work hard to make make a part of your story. You know, like I remember thinking when Banner horses found out about our album and invited me to breakfast, and I was like, Oh, well, we made it, like it's fine, I don't have to work anymore. And then I realized yeah I do now there's a lot more work I need to do and same thing when we get a label or we get a booking agent it's like you know the work's never done and nobody's gonna do it for you so like you know don't wait for your moment like create a bunch of different moments and then at the end you know after a few years you'll look back and be like wow I've, this is a career this is a, a path that I could see how I got to where I'm at right now and, and then you use that to keep going forward that's, that's the only way I know how to do it so um, that was you know that's what I would impart on people it's not the only way to, to not the only way to, to have a career in music but it's it's the way that it's happened for me
0: yeah no i i completely agree man i i i appreciate that um well thanks brother it's good talking to you
1: yeah it's great to hear your voice man i hope we can
0: hang soon and there you have it thanks again to justin for taking the time to speak with me today And thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And if you have a specific question, feel free to tweet us at sweetheartpub or shoot me an email, frank at sweetheartpr.com. I try to make myself as easy to find as possible. If you're interested in more insider information like this, be sure to check out our weekly newsletter. You can sign up for that at sweetheartpub.com. This episode was produced by me, Frank Keith IV, and our show's theme music was also produced by me. Feels a little weird pointing at myself every week, but credit where credit is due, I reckon. Now, go do something useful.